Welcome. I am so fucking glad that you are here for this week's Soul Session with me, Jessica Soul. This podcast is designed to be your weekly dose of solitude, freedom, and kick-ass concept building. Each week, expect real and raw conversations, practical and straight-up methods that you can implement right now to up-level your relationship with yourself. So hello, your hello, mindset, good, your abundance, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you are tuning in, if it's so Monday morning more. when we release, Thank happy you so Monday. Much for supporting I'm my super excited to today because I have an incredible man coming in to add value with us today, Drew. Hello, Drew. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh. You are so welcome. It's an honor. Guys, um, a lot of you may not know of Drew. So if you do not know who he is, I will pop all of his social media handles and all of the ways that you can connect and potentially work with him in the future into our community so that so that you're well aware of how to find Drew. But Drew and I actually met, uh, we probably would have been about three or three and a half years ago very briefly at a leadership day that we were both invited to. And I immediately saw Drew and thought, there's an energy about this man and I really, really like it. <laughs> and so since then, we haven't stayed in like high level contact, but we've kind of stayed connected in, in a few different ways. And I have a great admiration for your work. Drew's got an interesting story, which I'm going to allow you to share a little bit about, but also for everyone um, tuning into this this audio, Drew's approach is is largely based around changing the way we look at and approach addiction. And I think that there's probably there's I don't think there's anyone that's avoided some form of addiction in their own life or um, in the lives of people around them. So today I don't have to talk as much. I get to kind of you know converse with you, but allow you to share your wisdom, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah, amazing. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So I'd love, Drew, for you just to kind of share a little bit about your story, just so that people can get a context for who you are, what you do, in whatever way you feel called. Perfect. <clears throat> um, yeah, cool. Awesome. I'm, I'm Drew. I'm pretty wild. Um, some people call me the addiction guy. Um, I do a lot of addiction, coaching, mentoring, whatever you want to call it, uh, a lot of trauma work and and actually, actually do a lot of work within relationships as well. Um, so yeah, the, the sort of the niche or the range or the spectrum of humans that I actually serve is, is really deeply bearing um, and you know, it all started as a result of, of just my own experience, my own lived experience, my own journey um, and what got me to where I am today. So. Yeah, I guess, look, sort of rewinding way back, you know, and this is all stuff that I know now, but I most certainly had no idea about, um, you know, even when I started this sort of this journey of healing or this journey of, of recovery or self-exploration or whatever you want to kind of call this ride that each and every single one of us are on. I guess if you're listening to this, you know, you, you're doing some sort of growth and development on yourself, which is amazing. <clears throat> um but, you know, I, I can go back, I can go, you know, if you really want, I can go right back to like, boom. you know, I could, I could feel, um, and I can go a little, a little bit deeper into this later on, but I could feel that energy, you know, when we're in the room, we, we attune to our mothers and I could feel how deeply stressed uh, my mum was through pregnancy. I could feel how deeply uh, um, unregulated my mum was through pregnancy. 
And um, you know, the, the truth is, when I've when I've gone through particular processes throughout this this uh, journey of mine, you know, I've, I've had to trace right back to, the, you know, like literally day dot to, yeah. to to start to move some of the anchors of where this showed up for me. Um, you know, from from infancy, from from like you know precognition, I could still feel. You know, my mum was was uh, she was forty when she had me and had had two miscarriages before me. So you could really imagine that kind of energy she would have been in, you know, almost throughout pregnancy, throughout, um, you know, what we call gestation, right, mm. um, of, like, you know, she's 40 years old. This I could imagine, only imagine this idea of, like, this is my last opportunity, um, the, the fear of losing me, the fear mm. of losing another child, um, and this, this general energy that I could feel and just sense as, as a kid because, you know, kids were just ultimately feelers and sponges. Um, but the feeling that I could just, that I was living with was this like feeling of I need, I need, right? Like I need you, I need you to survive. I need you to X, Y, and Z. Um, and it was really confusing. And again, I only know this now because I've done a, a shitload of work to get to where I am to heal these parts of myself. But this is how far we get to really kind of trace some of these, the roots and anchors of these behaviors. Um, you know, I could feel this energy of I need. So what, what that made, I made that mean about myself is that I need to show up in a particular way for my mum to serve her needs rather than her to look after me, mm. which as a kid was really confusing. Uh, very confusing. So it was like this consistent contortion of my authentic self and authentic truth to figure out who and how and what I needed to be and what we'll be doing or show up as in order to, to make her happy. Um, you know, and that, that seeds, you know, deep deep seated wounds and, and belief systems from, from, you know, sort of <laughs> these formative years, you know, zero to seven is really where most of the stuff is forged. And um and so, like, you know, I could start there, but, you know, where the, like, what we, what I call the symptoms of my behaviours really started to show up um, would have been, I mean, I can see layers of it probably when I was, you know, when I, when I was younger, like, I had a really, like, deep tendencies just want to escape. Um, and when I say escape, you know, I would almost create spaces for myself just to escape this energy that I didn't, that really sort of, it just didn't feel safe, right? And mm. that was the essence and core of it, like, as much as I, it was, it was meant to, and my mum was meant to feel safe. It didn't. Yeah. It's not the feeling I got, and it doesn't matter. It didn't matter how much she was trying to portray that energy of safety. I couldn't feel it. Um. So you know, even from a young age, I could remember just creating little spaces for myself, like you know, little like um, I don't know, almost like like forts or like places and spaces I could kind of get to where it felt like I could just be in my own energy. Mm. Um, so it was almost like, an, again, like that's an escape in itself, right? Like I needed to escape. I needed to create something from outside of myself where I, where I felt comfortable, where I felt at peace, where I felt um, just a little bit more held or supported. Um, and, you know, as I got older, uh, that from 11 years old, I started smoking weed. It's pretty young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've weed. got a nearly eleven-year-old, and I would die if she started smoking <laughs> weed. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, look, I was at some rock balls yesterday, and I was just observing all these teenagers, and like, I think almost every single teenager I, I saw, I had a vape in their hand. Yeah, and I can just see, you know, just this this, this cultural tendency to not 
all this inability to be with stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, started smoking weed at 11. And again, like, you know, we've got to then ask the question, like, what does that give a person? Not like, let's not look at the thing. It's the kind of the core of my message and everything that I ever speak about. It's like the thing isn't the thing, whether it's drugs or porn or gambling or relationships or people-pleasing or um, social media or overeating or undereating or overexercising or overworking. Like all of these things are literally just coping mechanisms. They're just vices. They're just ways in which and means in which we're found to help us um, ultimately uh, in some way, shape or form, like regulate our nervous system. Um, try to create some sort of sense of peace or calm within our own sense of self mm. um, and help us deal with all the shit that no one ever taught us how to deal with, right? Yeah. And so, like, it, it just accentuated, you know, I started at weed, smoked a lot of weed when I was younger, pretty much through all of my teens. Um, porn was really prevalent when I was, when I was younger as well, extremely prevalent, actually. Um, and I can remember just so deeply just how... It was just like this vortex. It was never like there was never it's like this end result. It was like I it was like there was just this deep presence in this kind of almost like this void that would get sucked into. Like people might relate to that and through like social media they like, find themselves in like you know, they call it like the scroll hole, right? Yeah, yeah. It'd almost be like this this porn hole of just like it was um it was like nothing else existed in that experience mm. in, in those moments. And again, so it just sort of gave me this sense of like disconnection from the this 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 reality of 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 self that I'd created that I just was so just felt so pain so painful, so uncomfortable. Um it gave me again just a sense of like relief. I was like, huh, oh, okay, this is like a space where I can just be with me for a period of time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, weed, porn, um, and then as I got older, <clears throat> definitely recreational drugs came into play. Um, and but again, you know, you know, throw out if you looked at from the outside in, as a, as a, you know, from those those younger years, from my teens into my early twenties, like I wasn't behaving any differently to any of my friends, to any of my peers. You know, I was I was you know, I was an academic. I was pretty, I was extremely intelligent. In fact, I was really good at school. Um, our school, I went to a school that was what they call streams. So we had basically exams like every single, every single term, I think we had exams. Yeah. I mean, that in itself, like, you know, think about the amount of stress that that pressure that puts a child under. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like on a, on a regular basis. Right. Um, uh, but you know, I'd, I'd always do really quite well. I'd, my, my grades were always really high. Um, my my added, we we got on our school report. We always had there were two two marks. One was like your 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 exam grade and marking, and then your class rank. Yeah. And then the next to it was an attitude and effort grade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we st they still do that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you could imagine the disparity between the two mm -hmm. and the frustration also of my teachers, right? Because they could see so much potential. And, and um, but, you know, that was pretty much the core of, of most of the, the notes ever made on any of my school reports was like, you know, Drew Wilde or Andrew Wilde has, has so much potential. Um, yet, you know, this is about. And the reality is I was just bored. Yeah. Yeah. There was no stimulus um, and they weren't, you know, supplying me with things that I was actually interested in. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, although I was getting all the marks and getting all the good grades and, and you know, coming up around, you know, at, you know, at, at, um, at times, you know, tops of class and different subjects and things like that, my attitude and grades were always like C's, D's and E's because I just didn't care. I really just didn't care. Uh, I just I felt really extremely understimulated. <clears throat> I played a lot of sport. I was always in, like, top-grade rugby teams. And so, again, from the outside looking in, you know, everything was pretty happy days and same if you looked at my family my family environment um would have looked super cushy like phenomenally cushy like I would have looked like I was you know my, my dad was extremely successful businessman he was the GM uh, in New Zealand for Singapore Airlines he worked for Singapore Airlines you know pretty much as, as sort of high up the ladder of the corporate ladder as he could be in New Zealand mm. um for almost 40 years um, and you know, he was a very well-revered man, beautiful man, humble man. Like when you know, he was one of my best mates. You know, we had a beautiful relationship. Um, and again, from the outside in, like you know, the the love that my mum showed me would have looked really affectionate, would have looked really loving, would have looked really kind and caring. Um, but again, you know, I didn't I didn't understand why I felt the way I felt. I didn't understand why I felt this like just such a deep compulsion to escape my reality. I didn't understand why I took everything a hell of a lot further than any of my friends. I yeah. never really understood why, um, I just didn't understand why I was the way I was. Mm. And then that, that's the truth. I was always the one, you know, usually passed out a hell of a lot earlier than most, <laughs> or I was always the one that was still going on like Sunday or, or Monday. Yeah. Um, you know, depending if it was, if it was just booze involved or drugs as well. Um, and, you know, I, it became pretty clear and evident. I think it was probably around, <clears throat> I want to say, 1920. I actually spent my year out of school overseas. I, um, I went and worked over in the UK in a boarding school, which was so much fun. It was, mm. uh, it was incredible, great time. And um, each holiday, I just got to just travel, really, and saw some amazing places and but also picked up like a, a, a deeper and bigger drug habit over there, introduced to things like cocaine and, and, and ecstasy and MDMA and, and things like that. And, um, and came home with a bit of an ego, to be honest with you. I had a, um, I had a, a high school girlfriend, so we, we connected and got together. And I would have probably been like 16, <clears throat> so we would have been together, you know, like 16, maybe even before that, 16, 17, 18, Traveled when I was 19. We decided to stay together while I traveled, while I was overseas for the year. Um, and then just came home, and I really had a bit of an ego to me, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of felt like I'd seen things and done things, and, um, and uh, you know, fell in with, with a particular crowd that I, I felt was sort of like, you know, the cool kids at the time. Um, in some way, shape, or form, and we were all like our entire friendship group was really based around music and gigs, yeah, and um, specifically drum and bass. And I ended up working in the radio industry, and um, yeah, like our whole life was around basically, you know, what's what's what are we doing on a Wednesday night? What are we doing on a Thursday night? And then what gigs are on, you know, Friday, Saturday? Yeah, yeah. 
<clears throat> and how much booze and drugs do we need to make sure that we can sustain ourselves throughout the weekend? Yeah. And again, like I said, and you know, a lot of my friends, you know, we were all at uni at this time. We're doing really well at uni. I was actually struggling quite a lot at university. Um, and you know, they were starting to even, you know, get to the point where they were leaving university and, and getting really good jobs. And, and I, I really wasn't. Um, and I also just going back to that relationship, you know, just started as I would have been, I think maybe 20, 21 and just started treating her like absolute shit, unfortunately, in, in a way that she really didn't deserve. Mm. And, um, you know, she finally got to a place where she wasn't willing to put up with that anymore. And kudos to her. Like, yeah. Um, rightfully so. Particularly the way I was behaving and treating her. She was, you know, came second best to everything, particularly partying, drugs and other women, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, that crushed me, you know, that, that fucking, that was like, you know, what did they say? The first, first cast, the deepest. Yeah. And um, it really did, you know, it, it really, like, in its simplest truth, like, it fucked me up. Mm. And it took, you know, that, that level of heartbreak and hurt and pain, I didn't know how to deal with. I didn't know what to do with. I didn't know how to process it, feel it. You know, I, I genuinely believe, like, almost all of the world's suffering is, is hinged on this human inability to feel and process our emotions. Yeah. You know, that, that's as simple as that. And um, so, yeah, I had I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue what to do with this this feeling I was feeling in, in within myself, right? Um, but, you know, I knew what took it away. Yeah. I knew really well what, what took it away and what numbed it out and what shoved it down. And that was more drinking and more drugs and, and, and you know, more sex and more women. And, um, you know, that carried on for, for, for quite some time. You know, I think I remember so it, was, it was almost like kind of like this running joke and amongst me with some of my friends. Like, I think I had had like the spell of almost like 30 nights out in a row. And it was almost this like badge of honor. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm so, I'm so hardcore, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I've been out so long and so many nights and I'm still going. Yeah. And really, underneath, like, I'm just, I'm suffering and I'm, and I'm in so much pain and agony. Um, and sure enough, it caught up with me really quickly and everyone around me knew that there was a problem. It got to the point, basically, where I was, like, living in my car and just because I didn't want to be in a flat or I didn't want to be around anyone else, I didn't want to be at home because there was so much like deeply instilled shame. And, and actually, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't really, I didn't, I've had, had never had much exposure to any kind of addiction or substance abuse. And so it was like, what the fuck's happening? Like, I know I can't stop, but I don't know what this is. Yeah, yeah. Um, to this point in time, I'm living in my car, um, I was probably only like 21, maybe 22. And thankfully, you know, again, mum and dad were, um, you know, in a position to, they understood to a point that I needed help. And yeah. So after conversations with particular friends that had been through some things, knew that they couldn't do anything until I fucking put my hand up. Yeah. And um, that's some of the, you know, that's the hardest thing for a lot of family members or partners of is like that. That's the reality. There is nothing you can do until they want it. You can't want it for someone more than they want it for themselves. Mm. And 
Yeah, sure enough. Actually, I, I remember what happened. It was something like I was, I was I passed out in my car somewhere with the windows down. And, and like, I, I think whoever's like house I was parked outside of had just noticed that there was a car with the windows down just kind of left there. Yeah. They couldn't see me passed out in the back of it. <laughs> and so I think they called the cops just thinking it was a stolen car, like an abandoned stolen car. And because my car was registered to my dad, they called my dad and said, and we're like, hey, like, are you missing a car? And he was like, well, you know, probably didn't say this out loud, but in his mind, he's probably, oh, I'm not missing a fucking car, but I'm missing a son. Mm. Um, um, asked where it was, and thank God he got there before the cops did. And just sort of, it was bizarre. Like, you could imagine, like, the last person I'm ever expecting to knock on my window is my father. Yeah. And I just see this face, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what are you what are you even doing here? And it's like, I can even just feel this, like this contortion and like knots in my chest of just like, fuck, it's like, like the gig is up. Yeah. Type sensation. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can almost sort of feel in my stomach sort of like dropping in that moment already, like even just sharing that. Mm. And um, anyway, I got in the car with him and we got home and they just simply, you know, really simply asked me that question. Um, yeah, do you want help? I said, fuck yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah, got mm. no idea. No idea what to do about this whatsoever. And so um, yeah, they'd been in conversations with, with family friends that uh, I think one of them had, had been to rehab before and they sort of knew the process, so they had a rehab ready to go for me. Yeah. Went in, uh, ended up detoxing at home for, I think, over the weekend before I went in on the Monday. And yeah, and like that in itself was, you know, it was an amazing experience. At, at 21 or 22 or however old I was, it was, it was phenomenal. You know, it was um, the first time I'd ever been around humans that I felt just comfortable enough to, to speak my truth, to share mm. my story. Yeah. It was the first time, I like, I didn't feel alone, I didn't feel isolated. Um, you know, I've actually had some of the best laughs I've ever had in my life have been in rehabs. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this, like, camaraderie by, between people that have been through similar experiences and just the insanity of the behaviour that plays out in some of these, um, you know, chaotic times that, you know, sometimes all you can really do is kind of just laugh at the absurdity of it all. Yeah. <laughs> As you look back, right? <laughs> As you look back, oh, and go, what was I doing? Absolute hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that in itself was incredible. It was obviously also my first exposure to any sort of, um, you know, I guess you could call it personal development in a way. It was the first time I got to take a look in. Yeah. Um, but I also, at the same time, you know, I had this, like I sort of mentioned, I've always been, I've always questioned everything. I've always questioned everything. There's this like this deeply innately instilled part of me. It's like it's, it's my inner rebel. Yeah. It's like you tell me one thing, but I want to know why. I want. I need the answers. Like if you want me to actually do something or play your game or um, enroll into your system, it's like why? Yeah. Reason. Yeah. And um, you know, I often ask these guys in this treatment center, you know, but why? Like why me? Why, why do, why am I the one sitting here when a lot of my friends are doing a lot of the same things, but shit never got as bad for them? Yeah. 
and you know this was a 12-step based um rehabilitation center so you know for anyone that's familiar with with the 12 steps it's the foundation of of aa and, and na alcoholics anonymous and maconics anonymous and anything anonymous and any, any sort of associated fellowship is centered and founded in, in what they call 12 steps yeah and the 12 steps in themselves i think you know if you can take them at face value and dissect them a little bit deeper in which they may have been presented because they're also coming up like almost like 80 to 90 years old now yes um, I, I think it's phenomenal mm. but the rigidity in which these um this, this this program has been sort of founded in is that it hasn't adapted in any way shape or form to sort of just acclimatize to, to any form of sort of modern science and, and mm. what we understand now deeper about where these things are rooted in so even at, at 22 i was asking these questions like why you know, I was given these answers. You know, a lot of people either believe, you know, they used to believe back in the day that you know addiction was a choice. It was just a choice, yeah, a choice. And um, and you're, you know, it's you're sort of in some way, shape, or form fundamentally flawed. Um, and then was sort of like this this disease based model and movement yeah. which came through from from the twelve steps, which is you know you you have a disease for which there is no known cure. Yes, I do remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which just never resonated with me. It was like, what, what the fuck? Yeah. No, that's not true, actually. I take that back. There was a fucking ginormous part of me that deeply wanted to believe that to be true. Well, I mean, that's like the easy way out, right? It's a disease. I can't help it. Nailed it. It's exactly that. The easy way out. It's like, oh, well, I've just got a disease. And the ego in that moment goes, amazing. I don't have to look any deeper than that statement right there. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to peel back the layers of of uh, um, of conditioning that I've created or safety that I've created for myself over the years um, uh, in any way, shape, or form, and I can just sort of kind of bypass the reality of healing by just just sort of claiming that I've got a disease, and all I've got to do is just take it one day at a time and not drink. Yeah. Um, Just see how many days I can not do the thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And um, again, it just didn't resonate with me, but I was just like, fuck, you know, these guys know a hell of a lot more than I do. Yeah. Um, Especially at 22 years old. So, you know, I've got to take it with a grain of salt and and, um, take it on board. So, you know, in the early phases, it it was 12-step based for me. Um, but you know, obviously it wasn't enough because I ended up back out. Um, you know, I don't know. I maybe stayed sort of, kind of clean and sober on and off, maybe like three month spells or six month spells here and there, for sort of a year, and then it went to this weird phase of kind of like friends and family and 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 people were kind of okay and accepting of me starting to drink again. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up getting a job in the liquor industry, of course. Oh, yeah, that would have been helpful. <laughs> yeah, totally. Good idea. Not only that, not only that at rehab, that I got um, put on and slept with, you know, a multitude of different medications for, again, just, you know, diagnostic-based um, symptomatic presentations of, you know, anxiety or depression mm. um so i was put on anti- i was actually put on an antipsychotic i was put on an antidepressant i was put on um oh god something else i don't even know what the hell it ever actually was meant for 
um, and, and a few other meds that, um, you know, again, don't get me wrong, <coughs> I don't want anyone to ever take this out of context. <clears throat> I think medication always has a place um, in, in someone's journey. Um, but I don't at all believe it to be a long-term solution to anything. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we know that from that fundamental perspective and that common sense perspective, but obviously in the system that's what they do, right? They pass you from one thing to another to get you closer to nothing, but that's a very long journey. Yeah, and that's a wormhole in itself, you know, like, fuck me, we could spend, you know, hours, I could spend hours yeah. just tearing apart the medical system um, that's been created um, in in this modern day and age. And unfortunately, it's, it's you know, it is, it's, it's built out of, like, you know, treating symptoms rather than getting to the root cause. Yes. Mm. Um, and don't get me wrong, again, caveat, you know, I've got a lot of friends and, and family members that are all medical GPs and doctors and physicians and things like that, and now their heart's in the right place. Um, but, you know, they're not, they're not taught what, you know, we now know to be true and what is starting to become mainstream. You'll get to all of that, obviously. Yes, yeah. Um, so I look at it, and then sure, again, and I just sort of sat and buried around for years. I'd, I'd also developed a... a a valium dependency, so it's benzo dependency for a long time. I was on like heavy doses daily for um, for many years, mm. and um, yeah, my life would I just kind of went. It was like this, this merry-go-round of of help. <laughs> the only way I could describe it. You yeah, it's like the cycle of addiction. It was like you know, I'd be good, I'd be great, I'd be coasting. And, um, you know, insert trigger, and it could be a good day or a bad day. Um, for whatever reason, I decided I could I could drink again. Yeah, <coughs> permission slip so, comes through, right? Pardon? Like a permission slip, almost. You know, something oh, yeah. happens. Something yeah. we call it a trigger. <laughs> yeah. Could have been anything. Um, and and so I would, you know, you know, tell myself all the stories. Yeah, I'll be all right going out for one, and, and sure enough, we'd be there, you know, ten later, and then it would be getting the bag, and then it would be. It was like I call it like it was like playing a game of Russian roulette. It'd be like spinning the barrel of a gun and being like, "Oh, where's this going to take me?" Mm, yeah. Am I going to come out alive? Am I going to? Is this going to be a weekend? Is this going to be one day, one night? Is this going to be three weeks? Is this going to be three months? Like I had no idea. Wow. Absolutely mm. no idea. So you can imagine the inability of to really be able to hold down any sort of extended job throughout this time as well. Um. Uh. Yeah, and you start to, or I started to surround myself with just people living a similar lifestyle so I didn't feel out of place. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, fast forward. So that, that cycle I talk about is, is like, you know, so I started down a rabbit hole, I'd start drinking, and then I'd eventually get to some sort of a rock bottom, and, and it could have looked different, and depending on what had happened, whether it was a car crash or ending up in hospital or accidentally overdosing or just getting to a point after three days and I'm like, all right, I've had enough now. Um, you know, myriad of different places I could end up. Yeah. Um, and I would sort of dig myself out and, and do whatever I needed to do, given whatever sort of circumstance I'd got myself into to, again, you know, start doing all the right things. So maybe I needed a little bit of a detox again and then maybe I needed to... Um, 
um, you know, just get back to my meetings or, you know, support people and work with my mentors and, and counselling, you know, drug and alcohol counselling, stuff like that. Um, and then I, you know, start eating right and start exercising again and start implementing some sort of daily routine and ritual and, and I start feeling amazing again. You know, it's really easy to move past that pain and hurt it apart. Yeah. Being a human is so... Um, Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. To hear the full conversation and gain access to exclusive content, downloads, and full transcriptions, find me at the link below and subscribe.